0: Welcome, everyone. Uh, This is TECHNACT podcast. Uh, This is a space where we have conversations with uh, guests, usually researchers, activists, and we discuss uh, different subjects in relation to social movements gender, sexualities, and digital technologies. Uh, as always, my name is Nadia,
1: my name is Honor.
2: <laughs> and my name is Samo.
1: Yeah, thank you. Today, uh, actually, we have Elin Fern with us as our guest, who is the co-founder of NORM, which is a norm-critical consultancy firm. Um, Elin is uh, an experienced lecturer and workshop leader who is based in Copenhagen in Denmark. Also, she has an activism history at uh, the organization FATTA, which is fighting uh, struggling against sexual violence. And we will soon learn more about all these amazing works that Elin has been involved in. But uh, I would like to first uh, give the word to you, Elin, and thank you, first of all, so much for joining us, and I want to ask you, how are you
3: doing? <laughs> <laughs> thank you, and thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I'm really well today. It's uh, pretty great here in Copenhagen.
2: Yes, uh, thank you, Aline, for joining us today again. And I just wanted to ask, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who is Aline Firm, and what does it mean for you to be a norm critical educator?
3: Yeah, sure. Uh, well, yeah, my name is Eden, and my pronouns are she and her. Um, and I was born in Sweden, uh, but I've lived abroad since I was 19. So, like Uno said, I'm currently uh, residing in Copenhagen. And uh, I have a degree in anthropology and gender studies. Um, and yeah, I've worked in many different organizational settings with equality and inclusion and anti discrimination the past couple of years. Um, And yeah, in terms of being a norm critical educator, uh, that's a really good uh, question. But I guess for me, it's about both uh, sort of educating people about norm critical thinking and trying to work in a norm critical way whilst uh, facilitating, for example. So making sure to, you know, make the teaching space as accessible as possible so you can look at language and having breaks and how do you sort of pass the word around in a meeting. Um, And I guess I should say also that when I talk about norm critical thinking, I think of that as like an approach um, that helps us turn the gaze towards the norm and all these things that we take for granted, you know, for example, related to gender, race, body, sexuality or class. Um, And I think it's really great because it encourages us to sort of reflect on these norms and how they influence the way that we speak or treat others, which that, you know, is the first step of, of addressing unequal and discriminatory behaviour.
0: Thank you so much. Um, so maybe, uh, if you would like, uh, we can start asking you, um, what do you do in NORM? Uh, that, uh, or um, more specifically, tell us first uh, about NORM, your consultancy agency, what does the idea came from?
3: Yeah, well, um, so it's me and my co-founder, uh, Stina, who is a digital designer, um, who started it together. And it actually started with us having pretty uh, terrible, a terrible time at our old jobs um, with quite unhealthy working environments. So we thought, you know, how can this be improved? Um, what would these workplaces need? Um, and I'd worked with non-critical thinking in Sweden before in like different settings um and I'd only really come across it uh, in sort of activist settings in Denmark before so I thought this could be something that we could really use here as a method uh with these type of workplaces and uh, yeah when we asked around as well it was sort of the response that we got that people found it um interesting Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's very interesting and and I I also would like you to open up like um what do you do in norm and uh, because uh, when we have been looking and that we saw that you are collaborating uh, with many different uh, organizations very different groups a very like big variety of groups and how do you connect with these groups and what do you do in norm in that regard
3: yeah yeah you're right it's um it's funny because you know sometimes people say oh you should You should find a specific target group. But I think uh, this uh, non-critical thinking kind of works across many different sectors. So we've worked with uh, unions, with universities, with TV production companies, uh, also a dance company, uh, libraries and youth organisations. So it's, yeah, pretty across the board. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, what we do, we often say that we use human-centred methods uh, from anthropology design and communication to help organisations create Fair and representative environments, and what that means in practice is basically um, it can be everything from helping companies develop uh, their surveys, for example, regarding discrimination and inclusion, uh, or doing interviews in the workplace. You know, mapping areas or like key areas where they need to start working. Uh, we've also uh, done reports for. Uh, Unions, for example, assessing sexual harassment and kind of giving recommendations on what would be the next step, where do you need to go from here. Uh, We do quite a few workshops where we help uh, the employees and the leaders sort of practice norm critical thinking in the workplace. Um, We've also been asked to do research um, actually about Sweden's response to Me Too from this um, Denmark's Knowledge Centre for Gender Inequality asked us to look into this because they uh, acknowledge that Sweden was perhaps a little bit further ahead in that journey. Um, so that's something we've done as well. Uh, we've developed a method guide or a method book about norm critical facilitation online. So yeah, it's really uh, exciting in that way because it's providing a, a broad span um, of opportunities. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is very interesting, and also. Speaking of helping with organizations, different sectors and also unions, I was wondering what uh, tools uh, do you provide to these organizations or is it just seminar based, workshop based, or is it a process? Do you follow up with them? Can you explain a little bit about this specific cases?
3: Well, overarching, you could say that we uh, work on sort of two levels. So we both uh, help the individuals in the organization sort of turn their gaze onto this themselves and their culture. So that could be something like practicing using, you know, more gender-neutral language, um, talking about what that, why that is important, um, just things like greeting, you know, tiny detail, but just, yeah, instead of saying, ladies and gentlemen, you know, <laughs> these kind of things or, um, yeah. Uh, or you could uh, look at evaluating, you know, the space taking up taken up in a meeting like recording speaking times uh also looking at for example what is spoken about with whom or uh we had a project um, in collaboration with a company where they were looking at a um when they met somebody in the corridor you know um who just sort of social conversation the leaders were asked to evaluate uh who were they speaking to about what and uh, realised that a lot of the men were speaking to the other men in the organisation about sports or um, company related issues, and then they were talking to the women in organisation about um, families and stuff like this. So, kind of digging into those uh, everyday norms and make like making them more aware uh, and acknowledging that you know change sort of starts with ourselves in our everyday. Um, and then we also work on sort of the other level, which is the organizational, with the organizational structure. And there is more about like looking at policies, for example, helping them develop them, um, looking at wages, you know, representation in terms of the board. Um, And that's not just how many of a given group are present, but you know, also how are they present, for example, like who is this organization built for, who works as a manager, who's a... A high level manager middle level manager um we could also look at things like parental leave for example mm-hmm. so helping them make this visible like measuring uh understanding it and tracking it um and yeah and then setting up systems that enable them to make uh, more inclusive decisions mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah i think it is very interesting to see like how can you in that way like also contribute to organizational cultures and uh, seeing it as a like a constantly changing and evolving process, and I was actually also curious in that regard. Like obviously we had this process with the pandemic and uh, all the a lot of organizations or groups or people obviously have been using online spaces all the time, almost in uh, many contexts. And I think uh, in Denmark also that was the norm, also in many ways. So in relation to that, I I want to ask you, how do you define these inclusive online meetings that you have been talking about before and what is your approach to it?
3: Well, yeah, it's a really good question. And that's something I think we've all been sort of forced to work with, whether we like it or not. Um, But uh, in some ways, I would say it is very much like um, sort of IRL meetings, but it's um, just a heightened form. So for example, facilitation, I feel, needs to be a little bit stricter or more directed, at least. Um, but in other ways, it's like things that are important in real life are also important online, but, you know, things like lived experience, so thinking about who enters this digital room um, and what experiences did they come with, but also looking at my own, you know, what experiences do I carry and how does that influence how I facilitate this meeting, how I pass the word around, and, um, what are my sort of choices of references and things, materials and things like this. Um, but then I also think it's really important to, you know, with preparation, uh, sending out agendas, guidelines, information about, you know, how is this meeting going to run? Uh, and during the meeting, having very clear guidelines. Um, I think a lot of people are now assuming that everyone's familiar with, you know, this is how we do it online, but that's also different uh, different spaces so a way of being more inclusive is to make that clear to everyone at the beginning of the meeting or the session uh you know how do we interact do we turn our mic off do we use the chat for questions and things like this um also here i find facilitation of breakout rooms is something that i have also experienced on the other end so not facilitating but sometimes being in meetings or workshops um i really appreciate uh, when people have directed this facilitation so for example suggesting that uh, the person with the names who starts with the letter A or closest to A will be the facilitator of this exercise um, for this long so that's something I've picked up as well I think it's nice that you're not just left in a breakout room you know with (laughs) with people not knowing like who takes charge so making it very clear yeah what are people supposed to do how long are they doing it for etc. Um, and then rounds as well is something that we work a lot with, um, both on and offline, but to give everyone a chance to speak without interruption. Um, so passing, you know, the word around, um, and then also making sure there's a possibility to say pass or just pass it onwards to the the next person, but that's kind of creating a more sort of democratic, uh, way of taking turns. I find. Um, And another inclusive thing, I guess, would be to really think about uh, variation and breaks. Uh, I think a lot of people tend to forget that breaks are extremely important, especially online.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: Uh, So making space for that in in a meeting or a session uh, quite often and also kind of trying to vary exercises. If you can, maybe vary with like different speakers to keep the brain awake. Um, and then also thinking about creating a sort of safer space online if you can so having like a presentation rounds where you say both your name and your pronouns but also asking if the participants have anything you know that the rest of the particip- participants need to know about them in the meeting so that could be if I have a really sore back for example I could say in this meeting I'm going to be standing up sometimes just so you know that's not because I'm not listening, but it's because my back is really hurting. Or if I have a sick child, maybe I need to have my phone not on silence. So if I need to take my phone, you know why. So again, just clarity and communication. Um, and sometimes, I mean, this depends on the setting, right? But if I, we hold workshops, we try and always work with these sort of uh, creating common guidelines. So having all participants reflect on what do I need to be able to feel comfortable participating in this meeting and then we take a round and sort of agree on these guidelines that could be um I really feel like you know I need we need to take turns speaking and and make sure to uh, listen to each other uh to the end of a sentence like not interrupting um maybe everything I want everything to stay in the room a lot of people mention respect uh, as a point they want to sort of put on the list, and then we try and dig into that. What does respect mean for you, you know, because that could be quite different things. Um, so yeah, those are some, some things we picked up along the way. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. That is super interesting. Actually, uh, it looks like you maybe agree or maybe think that digital technologies are in fact helping in terms of inclusion. But maybe my question is, do you think that digital technologies are helping? In terms of inclusion because so far what i'm listening is like it's very positive in terms that uh you know you you set up a, a set of norms and everyone agrees on this thing so it might look like digital technologies are actually helping in this kind of relationships that uh, maybe in an irl uh, setting uh sometimes doesn't happen um, but would you also, and another question in relation to that, would you change something to improve um, digital technologies in inclusion?
3: Well, it's a it's a big question that, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's an important one. I think there are pros and cons uh, to digital technologies in terms of yeah, inclusive facilitation and norms. Um, I think something that I've thought about was when um, we held uh, Pride lectures. We had a lecture at Pride in Copenhagen last year, uh, especially. And then they had decided to sort of broadcast that um, so that people could, both a smaller number of people could come to the tent that it was in and other people could watch it online with a professional production company. Um, And that just meant also that it could reach out much further, like in the country, outside the country, Uh, And also for people that are not out yet. uh, So that provided, you know, the anonymity of being able to access uh, this kind of information online um, in your bedroom, for example. So that's a pro, uh, like I think is really important that we consider going forward from this as well. And uh, in terms of cons, I mean, it's not my area of expertise, but um, I just read the latest issue of the Swedish Uh, anti-racist and feminist magazine, uh, Mana, And uh, they talked about, you know, these issues in terms of who owns and controls digital technologies that I thought was a really important point. But also that uh, technology is not neutral. I mean, as I'm sure you all are aware of, but that how it reflects uh, the world that we live in, I thought was a really important point as well. So, you know, that existing in a world that is already shaped by racist and sexist and queerphobic structures, for example, this, these kind of digital technologies and end up reproducing them. So I think, yeah, we need to sort of deconstruct this idea that technology is our savior and then keep working for social justice, and IRL, and then that will lead to a more digital equal world as well.
2: Yeah, I would definitely agree with the points that you just made um just moving away from digital technologies and impacts i would actually want to reorient uh, the topic towards uh, your work and your work with the organizations that not necessarily share the uh, language or knowledge that you are offering to them or it might not be accessible to them because of course um that is your uh, kind of um goal to uh, make them think and make them change their ways of uh, working with things, right? So I was really, I'm really curious to know how do you navigate or transfer your knowledge in anthropology and gender studies and communication in a critical way to a broader audience in different sectors and what challenges have you faced?
3: Yeah, it is a good question because it's uh, one that we struggle with I think every day Um, because sometimes you, Get into a situation where um, from an academic point of view or an activist point of view of course the language that you want to and need to use is considered perhaps a little harsh uh, or too much of a sort of truth-telling I don't know how you want to look at it but people sometimes uh, we need to uh, we, we've had to kind of use a softer sort of language to uh, get in the door and then once we're in the door, we can kind of deconstruct this language and lo- look at um, what is behind this, you know, what, why it's important to talk about power. For example, people are very scared of power, the word power, I find. Um, also things like uh, naming things feminist in Denmark is a little bit sensitive, um, which is obviously a struggle if you yourself <laughs> identify as a feminist. Um, but sometimes, I mean, I think a lot of our project, like with this project has also been to try and bridge the gap between academia and a sort of, um, the business world or whatever you want to call it, organizational world, uh, and perhaps also activism, sort of that kind of triangle and stand in the middle and try and build bridges, um, which I think is important because I also think that even if. Academia might have the most sort of precise language. it can sometimes be a little bit unaccessible for people as well, uh, which then ends up being exclude, uh, excluding in its own way. So yeah, um, but it's a tricky one for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it is very like important like as you mentioned, these three realms that we can talk about this let's say organizations, and then it's activist uh, perspectives and uh, also academia about what you are doing also to connecting these uh, different groups to each other but also i think this is maybe probably correct me if i'm wrong but so much connection in connection to your uh, history and trajectory of activism that you have this uh, like position and experience in uh, in your previous uh, involvements, and uh, we know one of them is uh, that you your involvement uh, with FATTA, which is, has been an organization doing very valuable work uh, against uh, sexual violence. So could you tell us a little bit about how how did you, like from also a personal experience, how did you encounter FATTA and how, did, how were you involved in this group?
3: So they're an organisation that works yeah against sexual violence and for consent, uh, and it's a volunteer-run organisation. Um, but they're really really good at kind of um, yeah media, social media. So I think I'd seen them around, and then they were just looking for more uh, volunteers to sort of set up this lecturing group um, where um, yeah. So we travelled around and held lectures about sexual violence and consent for. Um, schools and universities and workplaces. Um, we also did a tour actually for um, sort of the Swedish version of uh, jury members um, across the country which was really interesting to see sort of their idea uh, of how you can step into the courtroom uh, as a blank page. Um, and we had sort of different ideas about that but but um, yes that was really important and um, it's been really interesting uh, to work with them and I think they've done um, a really, yeah, great job pushing this agenda in Sweden. Or perhaps there was more to the question that I forgot about now.
2: Yeah, of course, you have a very inspiring trajectory as well. And um, I just, I just wonder, do you want to add something else regarding your work and activism?
3: Um, well, there's been another project that I've worked on as well. Uh, which is uh, sort of in, in extreme sports, which is something I've done since I was very young. Um, and I think that is kind of, kind of where my initial sort of feminist awakening slash anger happens. So in that way, is also important. Um, but just like it, me and my, my younger brother started um, riding this thing called wakeboarding. It's like a snowboard on water when we were teenagers. And we were kind of approached somewhat uh, very differently uh, just based on our gender and how we were perceived in the sport Um, and I think that sort of sparked something in me that led me to then start this organisation later on which was an organisation that I kind of would have needed when I was a teenager maybe but it's a it's been about creating a sort of separate space for women and non-binary folks uh, within the sport so holding events um, and I would also say it kind of has a an anti-capitalist side to it in the sense that um, it's been also uh, not against the idea of competing but the these spaces have been trying to create a space where women and non-binary folks could work and play together so sort of like working from this pass it on uh, idea as well that if you know something that you don't have to be a pro or anything because this was organized um, this was events held for complete beginners up to professional level so there was like very mixed um, so it wasn't that we had a coach or that uh, the the sort of top riders should teach the beginners, but it was like, if you've learned how to start, for example, you could tell somebody else on the dock and and then really encouraging this kind of uh, more inclusive thinking in the sport. Um, so that's been really fun as well to, to run. Uh, and, yeah, just creating those kind of uh, inclusive events.
0: Could you repeat uh, the name of the of, uh... One, yeah, yeah, I don't think I
3: actually said it, uh, but uh, at the time we called it uh, Nordic Wake Girls because it was an organization uh, that was also based in Norway and Sweden and Denmark. Um, and then yeah, it's uh, during um, COVID it kind of fell into a bit of a a, sl- a sleepy state, uh, as you can imagine, as it was based on big <laughs> events across uh, and a lot of travel. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we've also she considered a, a name change in terms of uh, having a more inclusive, inclusive name, but yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Fascinating
3: work. Mm.
1: Yeah. Very nice. And I just want to say thank you so much for actually joining us today. I think uh, your story is very inspirational for so many people who want to do work and uh, include like feminist and queer perspectives and uh, their history of activism to their own career and how do they you know uh, contribute to this uh, more uh, groups that are that we kind of always detach from each other uh, as we as you also mentioned like different businesses organizations academia groups and i think in that regard your work is very valuable and yeah thank you so much and thank you for sharing your knowledge and opinions with
3: us oh thank you so much for having me it's great to be invited and good luck with the rest of the podcast series
2: yes i would also want to thank you again and we really enjoyed listening to you and your experience in sweden and denmark yeah i also want to take this moment to um Thank our listeners, our podcast listeners. Thank you so much for listening to us today. We had a wonderful conversation with Ellen Firm about her experience in non-critical consulting and her history of activism. If you would like to follow TechNight's previous and upcoming episodes, you can find us on platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. For more information about our wider research cluster, you can follow TechNact on Facebook to learn about our activities, other updates, and give us feedback. Our podcast and research cluster is located at the University of Gothenburg, Sweden. See you next time.